to be with those of you who are watching over in the Fellowship Hall and those of you who are joining us online today. A special shout out to Hank. I know Hank is homesick and he's watching, so I wanted to say hi to Hank. Uh, but as we gather together in this place, I have a little uh, test for you today. I'm going to put a picture up on the screen, and then on the count of three, we're going to see if you can identify who this is a picture of. Let's put that picture up there. One, two, three. Spock, it's Spock. Yes, Spock from that famous 1960s television show Star Trek that has continued on in film and movies and all kinds of different kinds of things. And uh, Spock's got his hand up there, and there are some words that Spock used to always like to say. Let's, now we're really going to find out who the Trekkies are, right? Who remembers what it is that Spock liked to say when he had hands up like this? He would say, live long and prosper. There you go, you got it. Live long and prosper. Now, here's the thing that you might not know that actually connects it to why on earth I would be showing an image of Spock up on the screen to get started today. And that's this. Leonard Nimoy, who is the actor who portrayed Spock all those years, was raised in the Jewish faith. And that hand signal that he's showing you is actually a symbol of the Hebrew letter Shin. And it has much significance in the Hebrew language and the Jewish faith because it starts many important words like Shaddai, which is another word for God, the, the God who provides. It also is the starting letter of the word Shalom, which is to offer peace to people. And that hand signal that looks kind of strange like this, that's actually a symbol that the elders in the synagogue would use as they were blessing the people. At the end of the service or at different times during the service, when the elders were looking to bless the people, they would hold up their hands, two hands like this, with that symbol, place it over the people, and then they would do the ironic blessing. The blessing that you guys hear oftentimes here at Community of Grace, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon your life with his favor and grant you his peace. So Spock kind of stole that and brought it into the show, but that's its origins and that place of living long and prospering. And that message of live long and prosper is definitely a biblical message. It shows up again and again in different forms and different shapes throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, in particular in the prophets. And that's where we're going today, is to talk some more about the prophets. We've been on this Route 66 journey, taking us all the way through the Old Testament. Of course, we haven't hit every story, but we've hit some high points, some key points of understanding this grand narrative of the biblical story that, of course, becomes our story. And last week, we stepped over into a new arena, and that is the arena of the prophets. And if you remember last week, Pastor Angie introduced us to a prophet named Amos. Amos, which she called the hick prophet. I love that. It's kind of a good understanding of Amos as a little bit distinctive from some of the other prophets. But today we're going to look at another prophet, a very famous prophet, a prophet who actually wrote a considerable amount of the Old Testament, and his name is the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was not the hick prophet. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Now, why would he be called the weeping prophet? Well, it isn't hard to understand when you look a little bit at his life. Just a brief introduction to Jeremiah as we dive into this time this morning. 
The prophet Jeremiah was likely the author of four books in the Old Testament, the one that bears his name, Jeremiah, of course, and then there's a, a follow-up book called Lamentations, to lament, sorrow, written also and attributed to Jeremiah, which makes sense then when we give him the title, The Weeping Prophet. But then two other books, there are actually one book in the Hebrew Bible broken into two books in our Christian Bible, and that is First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings are often attributed to Jeremiah. Jeremiah saw the broad expanse of the experience of Israel, and as you know, when we move through the stories of the kings, there were not a lot of happy stories. There were good kings, there were bad kings. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. And these good kings and these bad kings led Israel in all kinds of different pathways. Some good, oftentimes not so good. And the problem with that is there was a deep connection and covenant that God had with his people and that covenant that he had with them was to, to show them his goodness and his love and his blessing, provided they continued to worship him only and not other gods. But in fact, that is exactly what they chose to do. So Jeremiah witnessed so much of the brokenness and evil of what was happening in the lives of his own people. And so he prophesied some really, really hard words. And if you read through Jeremiah, and if you read through Lamentations, you see page after page after page of God's judgment on Israel, of an expectation of destruction and hopelessness and discipline and pain. And because Jeremiah was the voice piece of sharing these things, he was not real popular. <laughs> he didn't engender himself as, as loved by those around him. Instead, he was often ridiculed. He was often pushed aside. And beyond that, well, he was often persecuted himself, imprisoned even, publicly humiliated. In fact, he was put in stocks. You know what, those, what stocks are? That's that big wooden structure that was sometimes in the town centers. You see it in the Old West where the person was stuck with head and hands and left outside for people to be able to scorn and mock and throw stuff at. That was Jeremiah's fate at one point in his ministry. Right outside of the temple. People didn't believe him. People didn't want to hear what he was saying. And God told Jeremiah that this is what his ministry would be like. He prophesied a coming invasion of the kingdom of Israel, which was the northern kingdom, as well as the captivity that would eventually come to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. All of the 12 tribes, all of Israel was going to be subject to judgment because they had turned their backs on God. And Jeremiah cried out to God. And God told him, Jeremiah, it's only going to get worse. This is a brutal, dark message. Because of the disobedience of God's people, their earthly kingdom is decimated. Their earthly king is captured. And their place of worship, the temple, is leveled and destroyed. Three big strikes against God's people. 
And the prophet Jeremiah foretold it all, and he witnessed a lot of it. Wow, what a happy story, Pastor. Thanks for sharing that with us today. But this is the lowest point. These are the darkest days in the history of God's people, which makes the words of Jeremiah in chapter 29 all the more enlightening and important. And that's where we're going to pick up our reading today. If you brought your Bible with you today, you can open up to Jeremiah chapter 29. If you have it on your phone or on a tablet, that's great. But I'd like you to follow along as I read these words from Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning at verse 4. Follow along with me as I read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declared the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Suddenly, in the midst of all of this darkness, all of this brokenness, God's people who have lost everything because of their disobedience, they've lost their king, they've lost the kingdom, the land that they were supposed to occupy, and they've lost their place of worship, the temple. It's all gone. And now they are being carried off into foreign lands. Now, not all of them, but all of them felt the effects. Carried into this foreign land of Babylon. Babylon, the exact place and people and rulers who were worshiping other gods who were following all kinds of false gods and false religion. And here they are in this dark, desperate place, having lost it all. 
And God gives this message to Jeremiah to share. And the message is kind of clear, isn't it? Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. That's the message given to these broken-hearted people. It seems like kind of a strange message. I mean, don't you think in this place it would be better to, to tell them, oh, you know, just hang on for dear life. Just do your best to survive, Israel. Or maybe, you know, fight back. Find a way to free yourselves. Find your way to, to rally. But no. Instead, the message is very different. It's live long and prosper. Now, this message was contrary to the message of some of the prophets of the time. You see, some of the prophets who were also there proclaiming to speak God's word were saying, hey, you know what? Here we are. We're in captivity, but guess what? It's not going to be so bad, and it's really not going to be that long. So just hang in there. It'll be a couple of years, and we'll be back where we belong. And God is saying to Jeremiah, nope, that's not the message. Because it's not the truth. The truth is, you're going to be here a while. And since you're going to be here a while, it's not just a message of, why don't you make the best of it? It's a message of saying, I have the best in mind for you while you're here. And that best in mind is to live long and to prosper. How were they to do this? They were to build homes and communities. They weren't going to live in tents. This wasn't a temporary stay. Build something, something that's going to last, something that will hold up. Build communities together with one another. Grow gardens, plant something in the ground. And then wait for a harvest. And then do it again and wait for another harvest and then do it again and wait for another harvest. You're going to be here a while. Anybody who's ever grown a garden knows that sometimes the first year it doesn't take off so well, right? Sometimes you have to invest in it year after year after year to really get something to grow. And then pray to God for peace and prosperity, not just for yourselves, but for the whole community around you. Pray that things would go well with your neighbors. And your neighbors may not worship the same God. And your neighbors may not look like you or act like you or think like you or believe like you, but pray for peace amongst them and peace with yourselves and prosperity for them as well as prosperity for yourselves. Because if you do, it will go well for all of you. And do all of this while you are strangers in a hostile land. The message couldn't be more clear. And it still rings so true today. Friends, we are exiles and strangers. And we always have been. This is not our final home. There is a home that God is preparing for us. A home that he is restoring and rebuilding. But it doesn't look like what we're experiencing right now. Christianity is no longer at the center of culture, 
nor is it in a position of power, certainly in the American church. This might not be any news to anybody, but it's the truth. Now, you are free to debate whether it ever was in that position or whether it really should be in that position. But there is no denying that the landscape of the American church has radically and rapidly changed over the last 30 plus years. It's different. So the question is, what do we do now? What do we do now? Well, we could think that maybe our best answer is to just hunker down and try and survive. Let's just wait out the storm. Let's just be very inwardly focused and think about ourselves. Or you might think that, no, we need to wage war. We need, to, we need to go take things back. We need to wage a fight. I don't think so. Because I don't think that's the message that God gave to Israel in similar circumstances. I think the message lives for us too through Jeremiah, which is to live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Now, what does that mean for us? How do we unpack that? Well, first, let's talk about living long. <laughs> How do we live long? Well, living long means we have to endure. We have to endure. This isn't the time for quick fixes. The kinds of things that we are experiencing as a church and as a culture, these aren't things that are going to get changed overnight. These aren't things that give it a couple of years or a, a, a couple of cycles of elections or whatever, and it'll all get fixed. No. No, we've got to be in this for the long haul. We must endure. Sometimes enduring hardships. Sometimes enduring discipline. It's not a time for quick fixes. Living long means we have to endure. And that means we also have to live faithfully despite what it might cost us. We have to live faithfully, still seeking God, still gathering together as his people in worship, still diving into his word and, and listening and learning from the richness of it, still asking the hard questions and being willing to wrestle and debate with meaning and understanding, still living humbly as we live faithfully, not in some place of superiority, but operating from the fringes and speaking into the world in ways prophetically that say like Jeremiah does, pray for the peace and prosperity of your city. Pray that things would go well and look for ways to do that. But living long also means not looking back, but looking forward. One of my seminary professors once told me this. He said it was a great image. He says, you know, if you're ever driving a car, you'll recognize that you have a great big windshield and a very small rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is there so that you can see what's happening in your blind spots and check out what's going on behind you, but you don't stare at what's happening behind you. You look through the windshield at what's ahead. And if you look through the story of God's people, so often you'll hear this sense of, oh, but it was so much better back then. It was so much better back in the promised land. Oh, it was so much better back in Egypt. Oh, it was so much better worshiping at the temple. Oh, if we could just return to those days. 
I understand the longings of our hearts. I get that. But you can't endure by constantly looking backwards. You endure by looking forward and looking to the future. It's what I said a couple of weeks ago when I meant that we need to focus more on who we worship than how we worship. It's what got Israel into trouble when they spent so much time focusing on the temple, but now here they are in this foreign land with no temple and no way to to worship like they had, and God still invites them to worship. He says, don't look back to the temple. Look forward to me. It was always meant to be about me anyway. So we look to the future. That's what it means to live long. Now, what does it mean to prosper? Now, when I use the word prosper, some people will think, well, are you talking about the prosperity gospel, pastor? No, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel that says, hey, you know what? If you just pray for riches, you'll get them. Or if you give enough to God, God will give it back to you and more. Financial gain. It's all about being rich. No, that's not the message of the gospel. But there is a gospel message that is about prospering. And what that means is this. For us to prosper, we must invest in the future. And we invest now looking to see a harvest someday. We plant and harvest. We plant and harvest. But you've got to sow something if you're going to reap something later. We're doing that now by looking as a congregation and trusting that he is the God of every generation. Well, there are generations missing among us. And so we've invested. We've invested as a congregation to say we're investing into staff. We're investing into our our ministries. We're investing into people so that the church has another generation that God can reveal himself to, which he always promises to do. So we invest and hey, those of you who are, who are regular attenders and part of this congregation and regular givers, you know we're coming into that time of the year. It's the end of the year, and there's always a push for us at the end of the year to see what we can do to make sure that we fully fund our ministry and stay strong. You'll hear us talk about it. You'll see letters about it. You'll, you'll get emails about it. Hey, it's just part of our life together. But I want us to take it seriously because the investments of what we are doing now are what it is that we hope to then reap a harvest from years from now. But we do the investing now with a long view of what it is that we're doing. How else do we prosper? Well, we seek to bless our neighbors and our neighborhood in practical ways. You know, it was so exciting to see so many people here helping pack all the meals that we packed to go to Haiti. That's investing in a community that's a thousand miles away. But you know what? You can invest in the community right around you too, right nearby, simple little ways. I got brought into one of these ways by accident last Thursday. I was out for my morning walk, taking a little walk around the neighborhood, and as I walked down uh, one of the side streets and was turning the corner, I saw all this paper, all this litter that had just kind of started showing up on the, on the sidewalk, quite a bit of it, like like it had blown off of something or out of something, and so it was blowing into these neighbors' yards and just kind of covering them, and I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of a mess. And, and, and then I, I looked a little closer, and I recognized this mess, because it was our mess. 
These were a bunch of pages and papers from our recycling bin as a church. So they were old bulletins. And they were bits of our, our, our devotional for Advent. And there they were blowing out into everybody's yard. Now it could be easy for us to maybe think, oh, isn't that great? Look how the good news is spreading through the neighborhood. <laughs> it wasn't good news. It was just litter. And I think I walked maybe a half block past that and then said, ah, you know what, I'm going to go back and clean it all up. So I walked back and walked through neighbors' yards, tromping through the snow, because at this point the snow was starting to come a little heavier. And I thought, hey, you know, what's the trade-off here? What are you doing, Lord? And he was speaking to me in that moment, just going, look, this is what it means to seek the peace and prosperity of your city. It's just something simple. It's picking up some garbage. It happened to be some garbage from our church. But sometimes something as simple as that is just a way of looking at the neighborhood and saying, here's a simple way of just doing a simple thing that can be seeking the prosperity in practical ways for our neighborhood. And then finally, multiply. There's a call to multiply here. There's a command to multiply. And I got to see some of that multiplication at work through you, too. When we were here for the packing event, you know how many people I saw here who were members and regular attenders of our congregation who decided that this would be an easy way to invite some neighbors? People who don't attend here, people who aren't a part of our worshiping community, but they went, you know what, here's an easy way to invite somebody to come and pack some meals and do something that would be a blessing to somebody else. And they did. And there were all kinds of neighbors here, meeting new people, seeing what was happening, enjoying the excitement of what we were doing. That multiplication goes a lot further than any flyers that we would ever drop in our neighborhood, whether purposely or accidentally. Because <laughs> that's person to person. That's you. You are the multipliers. And when you do that and pray for the peace and prosperity of our church and our community then we entrust it into God's hands. And we are honoring him. And it helps us to remember God's invitation and his promise. Because God's discipline is always intended to return us to his promises. Whatever it is that we are experiencing as a community, whatever it is we are experiencing as a nation, how you respond to that, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit to see how you're going to respond to it. But this I know from Scripture. I know that this place that God brought his people to in Babylon was not to hurt them. It was not to destroy them. It was to discipline them in such a way that they would look around and say, hey, what happened to our kingdom? And God would say, the kingdom belongs to me. But what's happened to our king? And he would say, I am your king. I always desired to be your king. Yes, but what's happened to our worship and the place that we used to worship? And he would say, it's not about the place where you worship. It's about worshiping me. And it would echo the words of Jesus. Who said, you're not going to worship on that mountaintop or this mountaintop. Instead, you will worship me in spirit and in truth. And this whole idea of live long and prosper through difficulty, 
This also echoes Jesus' words in John 16, 33, when he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. This is the promise of our king, Jesus, who is like no other king. This is the promise of his kingdom that is among us and is advancing through us. That is now, but is still not yet and won't be until he returns. And then this is the invitation to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Friends, this is what it means to live long and prosper. Can we believe that? Can we pray into that promise right now? Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, as you invited us to pray through the words of Jeremiah. We pray for the peace of our community, Lord. That peace, that shalom, your kind of peace, Lord. Not the kind of peace that is just an absence of conflict, Lord, but your peace. Your peace that surpasses understanding. Your peace that brings right relationship between humanity and you and between brother and sister and between even enemies, Lord. A peace that goes beyond any kind of peace we can imagine. Lord, we pray for that peace in our community and outside of these walls, in our neighborhood and in our city and in our state and in our nation and in the world. We pray for your peace, Lord. And then, Lord, we pray that it would prosper. Lord, we pray that there would be health where there is sickness, Lord. We pray that there would be abundance where there is poverty. We pray that there would be hope where there is despair. Lord, we pray an abundance from your hand, Jesus, and we open our hands, Lord, to be the resource as you are the ultimate source of all of this. Lord, use us as a resource to bless our neighbors, to shine your love upon them, to show them your goodness and salvation, and to practically love them that they might see you. We thank you and we pray these things, Jesus, in your name and all God's people said, amen.